So I was reviewing my notes before starting and I realized there is going to be a lot of white people shit in this episode, like more than normal. So I probably should apologize in advance for that to anyone listening whose skin tone happens to be darker than sassafras tea on the Sherman Williams paint chart. Meanwhile, I have Seinfeld reruns to watch and sandwiches to load with mayo, so let's boogie. My name is Matthew Kidson, and I want to welcome you to the Atomic Skull podcast. I am very excited to be yelling at you this week. I hope you all are doing well. I was at work a couple of days ago dusting off dildos like you do. You guys, I have touched so many fake dicks. I don't know if there is a ceiling for how many fake dicks that you can touch before going insane, but I have to be getting close to it. And this is even a bit. Like, I was literally dusting off dildos at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, listening to the generic ASCAP bundle pack of music playing over the speakers. ASCAP is responsible for making sure artists get paid royalties when their music is being used. And when you hear music being played at a grocery store or Walmart or a dildo shop, they are paying for that. And ASCAP will sell bundle packs of kind of just generic adult contemporary music. It tends to be a lot of 90s and Michael Buble, but you know, God bless them, man. They're getting paid for it. They're getting making more money than I am. So I'm not throwing any shade. That is what happens. So I am, I was listening to the generic music playing over the speakers and Closing Time by Semisonic came on at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I understand this is a very old fashioned reference. So sorry, young people, but Closing Time is such a niche song it felt wrong to listen to that song at three o'clock in the afternoon closing time is the perfect song to play at last call at the bar but hearing it for no reason at three o'clock in the afternoon in a random store just seemed really out of place and it made me think about other niche songs that are only kind of acceptable to hear in one particular circumstance. So like All Star by Smash Mouth, if I can't see a green ogre right in front of me, I don't want to hear that song. I mean, honestly, even if I can see a green ogre, I don't want to hear that song. I don't really like that song. Also, We Are the Champions by Queen. There are two occasions to play We Are the Champions. One, right after We Will Rock You on Classic Rock Radio, and two, when some sort of team wins some sort of world championship of some kind. I don't know. I don't sports. But that that's an acceptable time. Hearing We Are the Champions for no reason, unprovoked, just seems odd to me. And then the last one I could think of, and stay with me here, would be It's a Small World. Hearing... It's a small world anywhere besides the ride just seems weird. And that ride is overrated, by the way. You can kiss my ass. If they got rid of that ride, you would not miss it. Oh my god, you guys, speaking of being very late to the party with references, I finally finished Dahmer. And now that I'm done with it, I do have a couple of things that I wanted to go over. First, I thought it was great. Evan Peters was so 
fucking outstanding in that show that I feel bad for him. I get the feeling that this is going to be a career-defining role, and that's going to be tough for him to shake off. When you think about roles like that, it's a huge blessing, right? Because it makes people famous, and it buys them houses and gets them rich, but it's also kind of a career killer. Like, Robert Downey Jr. literally went from washed-up 90s drug addict. Like, can you even name a movie that Downey was in from back in the 90s? I'll spot you Tropic Thunder, but that was like 2007-2008. I even think of him as just an actor who kept getting arrested for being a junkie in the 90s. But now, he is the world's biggest superstar, which is objectively one of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard of, but he is never going to be able to get out of an interview without being asked about Iron Man. That has to kill his soul at least a little bit. Johnny Depp has that same thing with Captain Jack Sparrow. That role defined his career so much that he literally quit acting and just tours in a band now with old rock dudes, which is a pretty sweet gig if you can get it. But also everywhere he goes, he's asked to do an impression of Captain Jack Sparrow for someone dying in a hospital, which is fine. I would do that. I do impressions of Jack Sparrow for people who don't even ask for it, savvy? Playing the role of a serial killer so well, I'm not really sure if that's going to work out for Peters. And it's an actual serial killer, so it's not like he can really do a sequel. I had a listener reach out to me about the show, about Dahmer, who had loved ones that were murdered. Not by Dahmer specifically, but had a very tragic event happen that changed their life, and I was able to talk about it with them at length, like about the idea of viewers of the show being entertained versus the effect that that show might have on victims' families. And I thought that it was very interesting. Not a lot of us know someone who not only had a tragedy like that happen to them, but can speak to a completely different perspective than we might normally not be subject to. Something that I liked about Dahmer was that they spent the last couple of episodes not really focused on Dahmer at all, but focused on the families of the victims and how the terrible stuff he did changed their life. They really didn't need to do that, if you think about it. But I think it was good that they did because it gave the whole narrative so much more depth versus maybe like a fictional story about a serial killer, like Silence of the Lambs or something like that, which didn't focus on, you know, victims' families or the the results of what they did at all. It brought up a lot of questions for me when this person and I were having the conversation and when I was watching the show. Do the creators of the show have a responsibility to the victims' families at all? In a literal sense, they don't know the victim fam- victims' families anything. But morally, they kind of owe them everything. Do the creators of the show have a responsibility to telling the story 100% accurately? I know Dahmer's story pretty well, and the show did take a couple of privileges as far as exactly how everything went down, but they did hit all the major points of the story. And then lastly, are the creators of the show responsible for how the show is perceived and the discourse that it creates? I love the show specifically 
because it kind of brought up all of these questions on its own. I think it was really well done, and the story was told relatively responsibly when it comes to the victims and their families, who even this far down the line, 100% deserve that. I know the show got greenlit for two more seasons, and they're doing it anthology style, which I liked a lot, so they're going to focus on different serial killers every season. Plenty more opportunity for controversy, which is definitely going to keep the show going for sure. Me personally, I think that John Wayne Gacy would be a great option. They mentioned him in the Dahmer episodes a little bit, but having a whole season on his story I think would be terrifying to watch. I would love to see what Stephen Root could do portraying John Wayne Gacy. Stephen Root was the dude in Office Space who talked about his red stapler. He also does the voice of William Fontaine de la Tour d'Autrive in King of the Hill. But more recently, he is Monroe Funches in Barry. And if, by the way, if you haven't seen Barry, it's on HBO Max. 100% recommend that show's a goddamn masterpiece. I had no idea. Dude had so much intensity as an actor. Before I move on, I do want to thank that listener for reaching out to me and sharing their story and their perspective and being so forthcoming about it. When we talked, I definitely asked them some very difficult questions because they were difficult questions I was asking myself. So huge thanks to you for just having that conversation about something that has to be painful. I know it wasn't easy, but damn, man, it was so enlightening. Another controversial show coming out that was announced is Peacock doing a Casey Anthony documentary that she actually gave an interview for. This one is also kind of tough to navigate because Casey Anthony was acquitted of murdering her daughter, which to quote Gwen Stefani, that shit was bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. She was absolutely guilty. Literally everyone in the fucking country besides those 12 crazy people believes that she was guilty. Also, she is allowed to tell her story and Peacock is allowed to air it. The difference is that Peacock is for sure doing this specifically for the attention and the controversy. A lot of people are bitching about it, but You know those are the people that are going to be watching. The people complaining are the people that you can guarantee will be watching that show. And Peacock is counting on that. I can't imagine there is anything that Casey Anthony would have to say that I would actually remotely be fucking interested in hearing. So I I might skip it, but we'll see how it goes. If there's something, if I can do some kind of dick jokes about it, I'll, you know, I, I, I might watch it and throw it in. Let's get to the best and worst of the week, which I am just randomly thrown in wherever the hell I want. These ones are going to be quick this week. The best of the week is People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive 2022, My Future Husband, Chris Evans. I don't really have much to say about it at all, but you can bet America's ass I'm going to be using this as an excuse to post one of those delicious thirst traps they took of him on my Instagram when this episode comes out. And you are all collectively welcome for that. The worst of the week, fucking Elon Musk, man. What the fuck? So 
I'm not really much of a twatter. I've barely even used my twat. If you guys want to see my twat, you can go to at Atomic Skull Pod and feel free to twat me. But I don't think I'm going to be doing much to my twat after all this shit is going on over there. And everything he is doing from putting a bid to buying it to firing people is just a big, dumb flex. He is doing it for no other reason than the fact that he can. And I think there is a very important lesson built into that. You have to always have people in your life who aren't afraid to tell you no. Elon isn't remotely grounded at all because everyone around him just yes ands him into the next fucking dumb thing that he says or does. He's rich. Everybody wants a piece of him or a piece of what he has because he's rich. So it makes everyone around him always tell him yes. And it's very important to have people who lift you up and encourage you to do all of those things in your life that you want to do. But it is just as important to have people who will stop you from being an asshole. Think of how much better of a place this world would be if somebody, if anybody just said, Kanye, have you considered shutting the fuck up recently or not running for president or not hanging out with Marilyn Manson or not stalking Pete Davidson? Because every single thing that you do is nothing but counterproductive. Even if Kanye didn't listen, I would feel better knowing that someone actually said it. All right, you guys, let's literally get to the meat and potatoes of this episode. Because we have Thanksgiving coming up, which is my all-time favorite meal, by the way. I want to talk about my relationship with food. And I want to warn you, if you're hungry, this is one way or another going to make it way worse. I'm going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to food in my life. There's going to be some shitty sad parts that might make you never want to eat again. But there's also going to be some parts that are like culinary versions of Penthouse Forum. So you're fucked one way or another. Before I get into that, I want to acknowledge a source for what I'm going to talk about and the way that I'm going to talk about it. And that is a book that I have read multiple times called Presto, How I Made Over 100 Pounds Disappear and Other Magical Tales by Penn Gillette, who is one half of the magic duo Penn and Teller. We'll get to that a little later. If you know me, if you've seen me, you know that I have a podcaster's body. I can't really say that my weight has been something that I've struggled with all my life because for most of it, I haven't really given a shit. I have spent my life being a total fat ass. And the thing is, I'm not ashamed to talk about how much I love food, which I do. I try not to be a walking stereotype. I keep myself moving as best as I can. I'm always busy. I'm always doing something. As one of the hosts of my absolute favorite podcast says he has the same body type as I do he says he is the fastest man within 10 feet and I try my best to just not live the life of my stereotype 
You know what I mean? But I sure as shit do eat those kinds of meals. I'm one of those assholes who has multiple favorite chefs that chances are you have probably never heard of. I am a total food nerd that way. Big shout out, big love, big respect to the late, great Anthony Bourdain, one of my heroes. His books, Kitchen Confidential and Medium Raw, are food theory at its finest. I also fucking love Marco Pierre White and Thomas Keller. And if you know who those two are, God bless you, you fellow food nerd. Food and eating have been kind of one of those few things in my life that's been consistent. And I've enjoyed it. I've never really had good eating habits. My mother and my grandmother, both when I was a kid, would always tell me to finish everything on my plate, no matter how big my plate was. Not a good start, right? And then one summer, I went on a cross-country road trip with some family that I never see to a wedding of two people whose names I could not even tell you if you gave me $10,000. And... They let me eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, which I was way too young to do. And I indulged in all of everything, and I sort of never really looked back. To make things even worse, I became an emotional eater very, very early. I didn't have a hell of a lot of good times when I was a kid, but many of the times that were memorable, for the right reasons, involved food. One of the reasons I love Thanksgiving so much was because that's one time a year when I was young that I could count on my whole family getting together at my grandparents' house, and my grandmother would make a big-ass Thanksgiving meal with all of it. She and my grandfather spent all day cooking, and the house would smell like a million bucks. They made their famous homemade cranberry sauce, which I still faithfully make every year. And by the way, I have yet to find anyone who doesn't like it. Even people who don't normally like cranberry sauce love it. Every time I have them taste it, I scoff at canned cranberries. That crazy shit you slice up like it's a loaf of bread, that's trash. And what I make, what they make, it isn't a secret recipe at all. I'm going to tell you the recipe right now. It's insanely easy. It is a four, three, two, one recipe. Four cups of cranberries, three cups of sugar, two cups of water, zest from one orange. Put it all in a pot, stir, put a lid on it, simmer until the cranberries pop. Pour that cold cranberry sauce over warm turkey with hot gravy, and then you win. My mom, my uncles, and my aunts would all be there with myself over at my grandparents' house. Everyone would be wearing atrocious sweaters, which were considered fancy back then. My mom would wear frilly black boots for reasons that I don't understand. My grandmother would always burn the marshmallows on top of the sweet potatoes, no matter how close she would watch those motherfuckers. We ate in the formal dining room with the fine china and my grandparents' beautiful home. We would stuff our faces, laugh our asses off, and then try not to pass out while we watched a movie. In a very confusing and depressing time in my young life, that was one of the moments that I fucking lived for. My grandmother, who I mention often in this podcast because how amazing she is and how big of a part of my upbringing she was, insisted that I experience everything when it came to food. She didn't see 
me being a child as an excuse for me to not eat great food. We went to a really nice seafood restaurant for her birthday one year. And it was on the pier in San Francisco, literally overlooking the water. And when the waiter came over, uh, shit, I think I ordered first, actually. And I ordered a burger. And when I ordered the burger, she looked at the waiter and she said, would you excuse us for just a moment, please? The waiter said, yeah, I'll be right back. My grandmother looked at me and she said, I did not drive all the way over here on my birthday to a seafood restaurant so that you could order a burger. Matthew, I want you to look at the menu again and I want you to find seafood so that you can understand how good the seafood here is. At the time, she pissed me right off. But now, God bless that woman, man. But also, she would take me out on Saturday afternoon before a movie to get chicken nuggets and fries. Since I'm five years old, by the way, I dip my chicken nuggies in plain honey and then barbecue sauce. Trust me, it is a game changer. She would also take me to my favorite restaurant in the world, Chevy's. And once again, since I'm a freaking kid, I have always only gotten chicken fajitas and I would eat their delicious tortillas literally by the dozen. I have had servers at Chevy's be one impressed by how many tortillas that I've had and also roll their eyes at me by sending them back to get more for me over and over and over again. And then growing up, when I was let off the leash and I could eat whatever the fuck I wanted, my plates would get bigger and bigger and bigger and I would still finish everything on them because that is what I was told to do when I was a kid. I would see it as a source of pride that I would finish everything on my fucking plate. You guys, I have completed two of the food challenges that Adam Richman did on Man vs. Food. And for some reason, I was fucking proud of that. He was getting paid. So he had a reason to be proud of it. I just did it for, you know what, now that I think about it, I don't even fucking know why I did it. I love to eat. That part, I'm not ashamed of. But... When I would have a bad day, I would eat a big-ass comfort meal. When I had a great day, I would eat a big-ass meal to rejoice. The problem has always been that the comfort and the celebration was constant. It was so constant that it wasn't even a celebration anymore. It was just dinner. And I'm not really sure when I look back on it if I didn't see anything wrong with that or if I just didn't care. Another big problem is that all my favorite shit to eat is awful. My favorite food in the world is french fries, probably closely followed by fucking donuts. Those might be the single two worst favorite foods in the world to have. You guys, have you ever met one of those crazies whose favorite food was like carrots? or edamame, or some shit like that. Fuck you. Am I right? I remember dating a skinny girl many, many years ago who was embarrassed to tell me that she, and I'm quoting here, overindulged and ate half a sleeve of Girl Scout Thin Mints. It was one of the very few times, very few times in my life that I was legitimately speechless. Motherfucker, I will eat 
half a sleeve of Thin Mints while I'm trying to decide how many Thin Mints I want to eat. And those are from the freezer, by the way. If you don't keep your Thin Mints in the freezer, you are missing out on key points of life. I love to cook and I love to bake. Cooking and baking are two of the very few things in my life where I'm not thinking about anything else in the world besides whatever music is playing and whatever is directly in front of me. One of my specialties for cooking is homemade chicken strips that I coat with spicy sweet chili Doritos instead of breadcrumbs. Awful. For baking, I can bake pretty much anything. I'm actually kind of good at it, but my specialty is cookies. I make a killer snickerdoodle. I make a mean peanut butter, but my specialty, if you know me, you already know it, is chocolate chip cookies. Again, there is no secret recipe. I will give you my recipe for chocolate chip cookies right now, free of charge. It starts with the tip that my uncle, who worked his way through college as a sous chef, gave me. His chocolate chip cookies are also fantastic. Here's the secret. Follow the fucking recipe on the back of the Nestle Toll House bag. For mine, over the years, I've made a few changes. I keep the butter cold, and I add a bonus tablespoon of flour to make the cookies a little extra cakey. I'll throw in half a teaspoon of cinnamon if I'm feeling nasty, and a few extra chocolate chips. Oven at 350, eight cookies to a tray, 10 to 12 minutes depending on your oven. Give those bitches 20 minutes or so to set and cool, but not too long. An embarrassing amount of still warm chocolate chip cookies with a glass of cold milk is about as close to bliss as it gets. I love those simple pairings of two things that will together create downright naughty, nasty porn. Cookies and milk, bread and butter, burgers and fries, chips and salsa. I am getting rock hard right now, you guys. Oh my God. But There was a point where most of the food I was eating really wasn't making me happy anymore. Eating copious amounts of shitty food went from giving me comfort from depression to making me more depressed. I liked it for the first few bites, but then after that, it just sort of made me sick. But for some reason, I would still eat until I couldn't fucking move. My chest would hurt after I ate. And I didn't know why, because I'm a fucking idiot, that's why. I would sweat while opening a bottle of soda. I would get winded walking from my couch to my fucking bathroom. But none of that bothered me, because I saw myself as a tough motherfucker who could power through all of that pain and shittiness that was happening to my body, never even for a second slowing down to think to myself that if I was an actually a tough motherfucker, I could resist the temptation to eat all this garbage. I had tried eating better here and there a few times over the course of my life, but it wasn't ever really something I took seriously. Too many people would say too many different things about what eating healthy is. I hate when people say that it's all about moderation or some shit like that. No, it's all about moderation for you. I don't fucking work that way. You don't see me going to a gym. Well, you're not going to see me going to a gym ever. I'm just not that guy. But you don't see me going to a gym whenever someone works out too much and they end up tearing their 
carburetor or whatever gets torn when you go to one of those places. But you don't see me going to a gym, standing over somebody writhing in pain because they worked out too much and look at them and say, it's all about moderation. If you didn't work out so much, this wouldn't happen. Everyone has their own journey, their own struggle, their own experience. I cannot do things in moderation. What I needed to be able to start doing was eat an apple without baking it into a fucking pie. And that's where Penn Jillette's book comes in. I have been a big fan of Penn and Teller for many years. They were kind of like, they're kind of like the rock and roll magicians, right? I feel like they're super badass. I love their show Bullshit. If you've never seen the show Penn and Teller Bullshit, it changes the way you think about different social issues. I loved it so much that I got a tattoo kind of representing what it did to my brain and the way that my brain is a lot more fluid now after watching that show. It's very easy for me to change my opinion because I realized that the opinions that I have on different things, whether they be personal or professional or sociological or political, they're just ideas that can be changed with new information. And their show Bullshit made me think of that and reminded me to not be stuck in my ways, to always be fluid. And Penn Jillette kind of reminded me of myself when I saw him. He is outspoken. He's funny. He's smart. He didn't just try to own his size, but he kind of worked really hard to not be defined by it. And those are all things that I try to be for myself. I'm not saying that I am, but I am saying that I try to be that way. And because I liked him so much, I had read his other books, God Know and Every Day is an Atheist Holiday, and I loved them. His writing style is fantastic. It's equal parts from the heart and from the brain. And when he came out with his book about losing weight, I was very intrigued. I started reading it and I can't tell you guys how many times I literally broke down in tears reading about how he talked about emotional eating and then what it was doing to his health. I identified so much with the things that he was saying. And one of the central themes of his book is the idea that maybe he's had enough good food and he doesn't need to constantly go searching for it anymore. The book was inspiring to me and it made me want to start my own journey living my life differently. So I did. And he didn't talk about moderation at all. He talked about losing weight as some sort of comedic, demonic, daily improvisational piece of performance art explicitly to freak people out and that I can fucking do and it was perfect because it was a few months before my wedding and I lost a ton of weight for the occasion and I felt fantastic it felt fantastic to be eating better and to to feel better I literally was feeling better and I was proud of what I accomplished I wanted to keep it going and then quarantine happened and I learned how to do Postmates. And then I just went back to ordering Chinese food for myself and getting three sets of utensils. I spent a little bit of extra time right back in my comfort zone eating delicious food that was making me feel like shit. And I gained all my weight back. I was so 
mad at myself because I started lying to myself again, which is so easy to do. And then early this year, one of the people, this is going to sound fucking nuts, you guys, but one of the people from my favorite dumpster fire show on earth, 90 Day Fiance, came into my work, if you can believe that. And I fangirled all over him. I had a coworker take a picture of he and I together. It was like a full body picture. And I looked at that picture after it was taken. I saw myself where I was and that was it. I realized that I would never be thin, but I couldn't look that way anymore. I was so tired of people calling me big guy and Bubba and that moment seeing that picture is when I admitted to myself, maybe I've had enough good food. And I have had some amazingly incredible food, you guys. Sit back for just a minute and let me tell you some of my greatest hits. I have eaten 24 karat gold buffalo wings with my wife to celebrate the anniversary of the day we met each other. I have eaten dry rub, slow smoked pork ribs at the Rendezvous Barbecue in Memphis. I've had greasy fish and chips wrapped in paper, drowned in salt and malt vinegar while piss drunk in the heart of London. I had a freshly made warm poppy seed with schmear on Shabbos at Noah's New York Bagels. I got a thick cut portion from the original House of Prime Rib in San Francisco with warm Yorkshire pudding. I waited in line for two hours in the chilly November cold to get one of the first dozen glazed donuts hot off the line and melt in your mouth from a midnight grand opening of a Krispy Kreme. I've eaten freshly made beignets washed down with bitter hot chocolate with live jazz being played on the street on a Sunday morning at the Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans. I had shrimp and octopus on the beach in Mazatlan that I had to order in Spanish, by the way, that was caught that morning and brought fresh from the boat directly to the kitchen to prepare. I ordered the Beef Wellington, one of the most complex and interesting things I have ever had. And the Sticky Toffee Pudding, the best dessert of my life at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Las Vegas. The Sticky Toffee was $30. And you guys, after eating it, I would have paid 100 I have eaten a double-double with animal fries and a chocolate shake sitting in my car at an In-N-Out Burger parking lot in the heart of LA. Many times I have had warm, thick New England clam chowder in a bread bowl at Fisherman's Wharf while watching Bushman scare the shit out of tourists, followed immediately by a Sunday at Gear Deli Square with hot fudge poured thick over freshly churned mint chip ice cream. I don't regret having any of those things. Each one of those was delicious. The food was delicious, the memories were delicious, and I will keep all of that with me forever. But you know what I've never eaten? A fucking salad when I had the option to get a starch. Since I've seen that picture of myself, I've been living my life differently. 
I'm not eating the way that Penn did in his book, but the spirit of what he is doing is right there. I don't count calories, but now I pay attention to them. I don't completely cut out carbs, sugars, salt, but now I make it a point to avoid them. I'm changing the way that I see food and then changing the way that I eat it. It's not a diet. I'm changing the way that I live my life. And since April, I'm down 51 pounds. I feel better than I did a decade ago, aside from a few old man joint pains. I have gone down four pant sizes, two belt sizes. I have gone literally gone broke spending money on new, smaller clothes, and that is not a bad problem to have. Don't get me wrong, I still allow myself to go hard. The internet collectively talks about how massive and legendary The Rock's cheat meals are. Honey, his cheat meals ain't shit. I will put that motherfucker to bed. His cheat meals are always adorable and joyous and celebratory. Fuck that. He can come talk to me when he's crying while eating his massive cheat meals, watching old episodes of Arrested Development, not being able to quote along because he's too busy stuffing his tear-soaked face. And that, you guys, brings me to my gold star question of the week, which you can bet your fat asses is food-related. For the gold star question this week, I want you to put together your ultimate five-item breakfast plate. For me... It is biscuits and gravy, which is one item. If you don't think biscuits and gravy is one item, get your own show. Suck my ass. It's biscuits and gravy, hash browns, three over easy eggs on top, sausage links, and a Belgian waffle with maple syrup. What's yours? I want to know what yours is. Don't sleep on this one because everybody has something different. Reach out to me in your favorite way, Instagram, email, atomicskullpodcast at gmail.com. Text, slide into my DMs, and get me worked up for breakfast, you guys. Before I get my hungry ass out of here, there are, very unfortunately, a couple of obits that I need to shout out. The first one is... Gallagher, which to you older folks, I know might sound crazy. To you younger folks, you're asking who the fuck that is. Both of those things are very fair. Gallagher is an old school stand-up comic. He's probably the first prop comic. He is the first stand-up I ever saw on TV. Way, way, way back when VH1 would stop playing music at like 11 and start doing comedy, when Comedy Central very first started, Gallagher was most of what they would play. And I know I still could probably do most of his Stuck in the 60s special off the top of my head by heart. He was also the first stand-up show that I ever went and saw. He is famous, by the way, for getting a big, huge, oversized sledgehammer and smashing a bunch of food at the end of his comedy set all over the audience. And then his crescendo is smashing a big watermelon and then leaving the stage. Now, the second one... There are some pretty constant debates out there about who is the best Joker, about who is the best Commissioner Gordon, which is the best movie, but there is zero debate 
about who is the best Batman. Hands down, that title goes to Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman during our entire collective childhoods and beyond. He died very unexpectedly and so sad. Anytime Batman has not been a actual person and has been animated or in a video game, you were hearing Kevin Conroy's voice. He was consistent. He knew the character. And it's so sad to see him go. I don't know how they're going to replace him. Now, I actually literally just got home from seeing Elton John in concert. I saw Elton John tonight for the sixth time. And it was fantastic. Every time I've seen him, he is always fantastic. It was, it's his last tour. It was his last show in Phoenix. And he was just phenomenal. So you bet your ass that the song of the week this week is going to be Elton John. And there are so many to choose from. I have talked in other episodes about how much I love him. For this one, I think I am going to do Have Mercy on the Criminal, which is not a big hit of his, but a very dramatic song with some killer guitar licks, which Elton doesn't always have. So um, you can find that on Atomic Skull Podcast Song of the Week playlist on Spotify. Please check it out. It is one hell of a good song. And last but not least, big announcement, another big announcement that I have. This is going to be, you know, the month of big announcements. If you follow me on Facebook, you already know we got a new dog. Her name is Bowie. She, along with her brothers and sisters, was left in a box at a construction site overnight by someone who I hope dies literally today i hope i hope whoever the fuck did that dies today and ruins their family's thanksgiving a wonderful rescue nursed bowie back to health got rid of her fleas and ticks and we are so excited to spend tons of time cuddled up with her and floyd while reading about y'all's favorite breakfasts so please be sure to send that to me man now i just want some breakfast follow me on the Instagram at Atomic Skull Podcast. I appreciate, as always, every single person who listens to every single word means so much to me. As always, thank you for all of it. I know I sound sappy and stupid, and you guys are probably tired of hearing it, but I am absolutely not tired of saying it. Please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep reaching out to me. Please keep talking to me because I'm going to keep talking to you. Thank you guys so much. I will see you next week. I need to apologize to my mother-in-law and how are you doing?